Single simulcast episode 256. Shantae's in the building. Batman Wild's in the building. I'm here. Hi. Um, you can check us out on www.singlesimulcast.com. Uh, that's still the movement. You can also check out uh, the show on Stitcher and on Podomatic. Wait, no. Not Podomatic. We had a falling out of Podomatic over money. I didn't want to pay it. <laughs> they wanted it really bad. <laughs> um, like old shows of <laughs> single simulcasts were available on Podomatic, but not new. No, no, no. Uh, hopefully, pretty soon, Libsyn. Uh, hoping to go in that direction. The only reason why I haven't gone to Libsyn as of yet is because I'm trying to figure out a way to port over all of the shows that we currently have uh, to Libsyn. I don't. I, I I think there's a way to do that, but all the folks that I've asked. Are uh, just said so step baby steps people um let me see google play though google music i know we're available on there um and thank you to everybody who's been sharing the show and putting it on just a ton of different pod feeds and things of that nature um we're available almost everywhere uh shante can be found at uh on twitter at shante fabulous uh, I'm on Twitter at Rashani, and the show is at Single Simulcast. Uh, Shantae's website of excellence is buryme.redlipstick.com. Uh, there you can find makeup and her thoughts on just awesomeness and awesome makeups and things of that nature. Uh, if you have such a need uh, to be uh, able to donate uh, something to us, you can donate at. Uh, paypal.me backslash single simulcast uh you can also become a patreon uh and go to patreon.com backslash single simulcast where you'll get exclusive shows and uh written words and mute written words stories and poetry <laughs> and uh music and parodies uh tons of awesome stuff basically uh, you can also uh, visit our store at teespring.com uh, backslash stores backslash single simulcast. Um, our voicemail number is 916-572-9016. And our email address is single simulcast at gmail.com. I don't think I missed anything that time. Um, so yesterday there was horrible fuckery uh, amidst in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. Uh, there was a, what they called Unite the Right rally, which was really just a, a Klan rally. Um, a New Age Klan rally uh, in Virginia. Um, hundreds of uh, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, and Ku Klux Klan members planned to stage what they described as their largest rally in decades to take America back clash with counter-protests in the streets and one of the uh, and a protester was killed when a car plowed in the crowds killing one person and injuring 19 others mm-hmm. and that was today like that there was, was one thing there was a rally last, last night. night and then today there was another event and that's where uh, 
unfortunately, someone those people got hurt and somebody died. Now, last night, when the actual first rally was happening at the University of Virginia uh, over a Confederate soldier statue that was gonna, that was being that was planned to be taken down, mm-hmm. um, the police didn't really come out. They didn't stop the rally. They didn't stop the rhetoric. They didn't protect the uh, people of color uh, who were around that school. They didn't call it a terrorist act or anything like that. But today, when counter-protesters showed up, uh, Governor Terry McAuliffe uh, declared a state of emergency um, shortly before 11 a.m. Eastern time, saying he was, quote, disgusted by the hatred, bigotry, and violence and blaming mostly out-of-state protesters. Mm. But the night before, you know, that was just freedom of speech. Um, Despite the decision to quash the rally, clashes continued on side streets and throughout the downtown. Uh, In the early afternoon, three cars collided in a a pedestrian mall, uh, sending bystanders running and screaming. Uh, President Trump uh, remained silent throughout the morning uh, while elected leaders in Virginia and elsewhere urged peace, blasting the white supremacist views on displaying Charlottesville as ugly. Uh, even Paul Ryan called their display repugnant. Uh, President 45 uh, came in after 1 p.m. writing on Twitter saying, quote, we must all be united and condemn all that hate stands for there's no place for this kind of violence in America. Let's come together as one. Um, hold on one second. Typing with one hand while talking with another. Can I do that? Can I talk with one hand? Well, I could. I'm, I'm learning, but no, not really. Talking and typing with two separate things. After he sent out that thing, that tweet that said, we must be united and condemn all that hate stands for. There's no place for this kind of violence in America. Let's come together as one. David Duke, who used to be the Grand Wizard, former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, David Duke, then came right back and said, I will recommend you take a good look in the mirror and remember that it was white Americans who put you in the presidency, not radical leftists. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> oh, wow. 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 He wow. also said, so after decades of white Americans being targeted and discriminated and anti-white hatred, we come together as people and you attack us. Wow. Dozens of the white nationalists in Charlotte were wearing red Make America Great Again hats. When asked by a reporter in New Jersey whether he wanted to support a white nationalist, 45 did not respond. By early afternoon, hundreds of rally goers had made their way from Emancipation Park, where they expected to protest the, again, planned removal of a Confederate statue, to a larger park two miles to the north. David Duke was there speaking to the crowd and called Saturday's events the first steps towards taking America back. Hmm. Quote, the truth is, European Americans, white folks, face tremendous discrimination in this country. Jobs, scholarships, promotions, Duke said. The truth is, we're being ethnically cleansed within our own nation. White nationalist leader Richard Spencer also addressed the group. They're all there. Mm-hmm. I saw him get, I saw his, his dippy haircut. He was getting arrested or detained or something. Mm-hmm. He, dippy haircut ass motherfucker. Okay. 
urging people to disperse, but he promised they would gather again for a future demonstration, blaming Saturday's violence on counter-protests. Everybody break up, break up. Everybody stop the violence and break up. We're going to do this later. Okay, okay. So you guys just stop the violence, shut it down, meet me at my house. <laughs> I got pizza. Um, even as crowds began to thin, the town remained unsettled and on the edge. What, 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 what do you expect the town to be like when the Ku Klux Klan shows up at their major college? Shout out to all of the the, the white guys out there carrying the Home Depot tiki torches. Oh so my god! Those don't attack them. I hate even like joking about that because it's so this is like really terrifying it's just it's so because it's it's terrifying because these people are dangerous you like we know they're dangerous something could happen they could do something and (laughs) at the same time though it's like you guys had tiki torches like these should be in people's yards you know celebrating the last few weeks before school starts if your school starts in august or whatever like this is where they should you know you should be having like your little little last hurrahs before you got to go to school or whatever with your tiki torches (laughs) not walking around holding them hey guys hey hey guys lowe's is having a sale let's go we got this like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to keep reading. Uh, Susie McClanahan, she's got to be white, um, said <laughs> counter protests were marching when she saw silver gray vehicles drive through the crowd and then immediately shift in reverse in what she described as full speed. Uh, she didn't want to believe it was so real. It was just so horrible. Um, Earlier on Saturday, men in combat gear, some wearing bicycle and motorcycle helmets and wearing clubs and sticks and makeshift shields, have fought fought each other in the downtown streets with little apparent police interference. Both sides sprayed each other with chemical irritants and plastic bottles were hurled through the air. White on white crime. Wow. A large contingent of Charlottesville police officers and Virginia State police troopers in riot gear were stationed on side streets and in nearby barricades, but did nothing to break up the melee until around 11.40 a.m. That was when they were met by equal numbers of counter-protesters, including clergy, Black Lives Matter activists, and Princeton Professor Cornell West. Oh, wow. Quote, the worst part is that people got hurt and the police stood by and didn't do a goddamn thing, said David Copper of Staunton, Virginia. But State Delegate David Toscano, minority leader of Virginia's House, praised the response by Charlottesville and police and state police. Quote, things were getting out of hand in the skirmishes between the alt-right and what I would describe as the outside agitators who want to encourage violence. Because the Klan doesn't want to encourage violence. It's the outside agitators. It's the other folks. Asked why police did not act sooner to intervene as violence unfolded, Toscano said he would not comment. <laughs> why didn't y'all step in when the Klan first showed up? See, the way my uh, the way my phone bill set up, <laughs> couldn't I get free calls after 11.50. So, the way my bank account is set up, I didn't have the expenses to send people in we're kind of low on funds right now uh started to go fund me 
it didn't get filled up till about 11.30. And that's when I was able to really just send in all the folks I wanted to send in. God bless America. A group of three dozen self-described militiamen who were wearing full camouflage and were armed with long guns said they were there to keep the peace. But they also did not break up the fights. Unless, the only way that I'm going to think that that was black folks, uh, militiamen wearing full camouflage and armed with long guns, the only way I'm going to think that that was black folks is if it was Master P and the No Limit Soldiers. So, this was obviously more white men standing back watching a melee go on and making sure that no white folks were harmed in the making of this racism. Counter-protesters held Black Lives Matter signs and placards expressing pro- support for equality and love as they faced rally-goers who waved Confederate flags and posters that said the Goyim no, uh, referring to non-Jewish people, and the Jewish media is going down. Quote, no Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA, the counter-protesters chanted. A man yelled back at them, too late, fuckers. Late fuckers. Yeah. And on the in other news, we're staring nuclear war in the face. But the emails, though, <sighs> super predators. She called a super predator, so don't vote for her. Bernie was a better choice, so don't vote for her. We're gonna show all y'all. Don't don't vote for her. David Duke literally just punked out Donald Trump on Twitter. Don't don't vote for her. Ugh, I don't know. Okay, okay. I feel like I need to. Uh, 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 I I am actually frustrated. I think with the focus sometimes on Hillary Clinton at time because it's just it feels like it's over and it feels like people aren't focused on the fact that the Democratic National uh, Committee, that the DNC didn't pick a good candidate. Mm. You know, that they just didn't, that they they picked somebody who was so flawed. You know, not that you can't, not that any candidate isn't going to be flawed, but that she just wasn't, she wasn't a good candidate. And that they shouldn't have basically crowned her queen before it just it just didn't feel, I, for me it didn't feel like it was a real choice hmm. out of her because it just seemed like okay well it's going to be Hillary Clinton but this is really fucked up that it's going to be Hillary Clinton and I guess I I I I dislike the the continuing the 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 the, re- the the rhetoric that something was wrong with the people who chose not to vote for her or who chose to abstain, I guess is what it is because it just feels like it's always been baked in to our government that you didn't have to vote and that there's so many other things that that it, it's like the the DNC ignored the possible apathy that could have came that they didn't put a book you know that they didn't put a good person they didn't give the they didn't give democratic voters a good choice or people who would have voted democrat 
a good choice. And they're also not reaching out to those people. They're continuing to kind of just say, like, look, this is what it's going to be. And this is who you're going to get. And you're basically going to have to deal with it and telling people like, oh, well, you know, nobody's going to be perfect and you can't vote on these principles and all this different kind of stuff. And it's just it's just absolving them of the responsibility. And I think it I, I think it sucks. I think it sucks, especially and then also they're they're ignoring how uh, the, the 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 Republicans are ger- gerrymandering everything that they're ready to purge people who because they haven't voted in however many elections that now they're just not even going to be on the roll so that's bullshit too so it's just there's i feel like there's a there's a, a needless focus on the people who either voted third party or chose not to vote and not enough focus on the dnc and the the republicans that are basically uh, that are attempting to legislate away people's right to vote I agree wholeheartedly. Not wholeheartedly. I mean, cause I literally just said, you know, but you know, so, but I never really thought about it like that. It's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, though? But you know what? But I... I, I say that to you. I say that even though because I know because you you know because you're somebody who's who's talking about the emails and everything and I, and I dig it. I get I dig where you're coming from with it. And at the same time though, I felt like I need, I I know that I can go ahead and say that to you and it's not going to be some shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you know there's some people that you can't say that you can't say those type of things to and they're going to feel you know you say that to them and they're going to feel some type of way and it's an argument. And it's not listening to what that person's point of view is. It's just like, oh, well, it's, it's, it's time to have a fucking rebuttal to what you have to say <laughs> or whatever. So, <clears throat> I guess I just want to make that. But the emails, though, sure. Just, you know. Question. Yeah. So. Uh, Zach Randolph, well, statement also. Zach Randolph was uh, signed by the Sacramento Kings. And um, Sacramento was in, in Northern California, for those of y'all who aren't sure. Um, and a couple days ago, Zach Randolph was arrested in Nickerson Gardens uh, with enough weed to validate a felony arrest. Uh-oh. Um... Now, uh, Nickerson Garden is in Los Angeles, in Watts. Um, Sacramento's in Sacramento, Northern California, Southern California. Uh, Former Grizzlies power forward Zach Randolph (laughs) was arrested in Los Angeles on Wednesday night. Uh, Let me see if I can stop this music. Close that. I don't care about the Wanamaker trophy want to get Zach Randolph out of jail. That's what I want to do. Um, <laughs> he was arrested in Los Angeles on Wednesday night and charged with possession of marijuana with felonious intent to sell, according to a report from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Uh, according to the book report, uh, he was arrested about 10 p.m. The Kings said that they're aware of the situation. They have no further comment at the time. Uh, LAPD spokeswoman Liliana Prisciano Otto said 
Randolph was amongst a large crowd hanging out at 112th Street in Zamora at the Nickerson Gardens housing projects in Watts. She said officers on patrol saw the crowd drinking, smoking marijuana, and blocking the streets of the area of the housing project of the housing project. Uh, the officers called for backup when the large crowd grew and began throwing rocks and bottles. She said five police cars and a sheriff's vehicle ended up with smashed windows and slashed tires. No officers or anyone in the crowd were injured. Uh, they said that Randolph was charged with possession of marijuana uh, with possession for sale. Uh, also arrested was Stanley Walt- Walton on a charge of suspicion of carrying a gun and as an ex-convict. Mm. She added that Zach was one of three men who fled the area and was arrested after he was found in one of the housing projects. She said the LAPD does not disclose the amount of drugs found in possession of a suspect during an arrest. Uh, police recovered two guns and cash impounded two vehicles and seized drugs during the arrest. Uh, Zach's attorney and agent said the charges are false and misleading and we're looking at all options to resolve this issue. Yeah, this is unfortunate. This is unfortunate. And and who I, I had no idea. You know, I was as I was listening to you read it, I was waiting for an amount. You know, I was just like, okay, so how much did he have? Not that I would have been able to decide, you know, clearly, you know, oh, yeah, that's intent to distribute or, oh, man, that seems kind of on the brink of not really being that. But it's just like, you know, the fact that they don't even have to say. How much? Uh, how much? It seems like they could just make the chart. They could just be like, "Oh yeah, you was about to sell this." It could be anything, <laughs> and just say intent to distribute. What my brother said to me uh, was that, well, a few things. He didn't say these things to me, but a few things before what he said to me. Nickerson Gardens, like I said, is in the middle of Watts. It's it's mm-hmm. a project in in Watts, which is a. Uh, area in South Central Los Angeles. Uh, It's blood territory. Uh, What they seem to have been doing at that point in time was uh, what anyone that I know would do in the hood if a famous person showed up in the hood, which is shut down shop and throw a block party or have a block party in the person from that the famous person shows up because they know somebody who lives there. It right. seems like they were having a block party, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, cops showed up, and surprisingly enough, niggas in the hood were smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good chance that Zach had weed. It's California. It's a good chance everybody there had weed. It's California. Um, but the thing that got me was the fact that Zach was the only person who was really arrested with felony possession. Um, like he just had all of this weed on him. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my homeboys pointed out that the problem that Zach had in this situation was quite simply that a, he didn't have a weed carrier. If you have that much money, you need to have an official weed carrier uh, somebody whose only job is to roll the blunts and hold the weed. So if the cops come, they take in the charges. Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, the fact that as a rich person, he needs to have somebody who's going to take the charges. 
Like, yo, that's what I was going to ask you. How much money would you need to be paid or how much money would you need your husband to be paid to take the charges? Oh, my God. I don't Oh man. I don't know. Because I'm not like for me to go to jail. Yeah. Is that what you're for me to go to jail? Yeah. Nah, I'm not going to jail. I'm not going to jail. I'm not going. That's <laughs> just it's just like this that's one of those things where you know everybody's got a price or whatever. No, nah, I'm not going. No. I'm not going. It's just I don't think there's really any any price that I feel like that I would be able to focus on while I'm incarcerated. To to you know like oh man, you're going to have a billion dollars after that 10 years. Yeah. No. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I was I was just thinking like sixty five thousand. <laughs> like nah, you, no. You set the you set the standard. Like <laughs> okay, we are in completely different price markets here. Um, I'm worth it. No, <laughs> this is one of those situations where it's like okay, each of us are going to write down a number on this piece of paper. And fold the paper and slide it to each other so we can see what we're thinking about and start with a baseline number. And I slide mine to you and you slide yours to me and yours says $10 billion and mine says $65,000 with expenses. Pre-tax. Oh, man. With contingencies. <laughs> if you're not going to jail for... If you're only going to jail for like a year, I'll pay your commissary for a year. Limit $10 a week. <laughs> so, 520 bucks. <laughs> you're thinking $10 billion. I'm thinking 520 bucks. <laughs> We need to meet in the middle here. <laughs> Let's say a middle price. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to, now that you know that I'm saying $520, if it's only a year, $65,000 was my max, and I know you're saying $10 million. <laughs> at the count of three, seriously, Shanta, at the count of three, you and I are both going to put out counter offer numbers. Now that we know what the other person's base <laughs> number was, we're going to put out counter offers to try and meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Keeping in mind that we're both, I'm rich, and this is what I'm willing to pay for you to take the charge for me. I think it's important that you realize that this is a very serious matter. <laughs> so, at the count of three... We're both going to say our counter offer, and then we're going to go from there. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. One, two, three. One hundred and fifty thousand. Three million dollars. Wait, what? <laughs> three million dollars. That's a drop. Okay, so we're working somewhere here. You're coming to my side. I'm still at one hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> I feel like for $150,000, you can buy half of a house. And um, that's yearly. 
pre-tax. I don't know, honestly. Honestly, if I'm the person who's going to jail, I think your numbers are way more uh, logical than mine. <laughs> Ten billion, maybe not. Uh, right. No. Well, I thought I said a billion dollars. Anyway. I thought I said, a billion is still way too much. But <laughs> ten million, definitely. <laughs> to take charges, but you know, I think about those things, and actually, my homeboys were thinking about that those things, and I was like, "That's a good ass question." I wonder if are, are there really are there really people who are like we like 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 not just we carriers like but I mean like that we like their part of their job description is to take the charge like is that a real thing I always thought it was a joke. You know what? I would think that there is there are people who do that who are just like you know what take here give me this give me this you go. Usually in the mob or maybe a bodyguard situation. Sure. Um, gang members but if you're paying me damn it you know there are certain jobs that I just wouldn't take um secret service word secret service agent you know I'm I'm, I'm fine and dandy with the the whole acclaim of being secret service and the grandeur of being secret service but when somebody actually shoots at the president <laughs> at that moment you know, life is all fine. Like if I go all eight years without the president ever being shot at or anything, and I get to make up great code words for the president and his family, uh, the silver chicken is coming out. <laughs> the silver chicken is uh, crowing. It's block blocking. It's coming. That's all fine and dandy. But that moment, the moment of truth is literally when somebody takes a gun and shoots, licks two shots at the president. And it's far back enough that you hear the shots and you know your job is to jump in front of the president. Guarantee you I fucking stutter step. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're David, not David Wayans, you're Keenan Ivory Wayans in uh, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker when they started shooting. They shooting! They yep. shooting! They shooting! Why are you still up? <laughs> get down here with me! <laughs> And and if I'm not Secret Service, if I'm, if I'm just a bodyguard, your life your your life will live on through me. <laughs> I will remember you. I'll get your name tattooed on me. If if I took a bullet for you, you wouldn't get my name tattooed on you. But uh, if 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 they shoot at you and you get hit, I will cherish your name. I wonder if you, I wonder if the president gets shot on your watch if you get fired. Like if you have a chance to block the bullet, do you get fired? If yeah, you're running to stop the president and you quote unquote trip and fall <laughs> coming up the stairs, do you get fired? If you're the person who if you don't get hit, but you're the first person to drag the president down after he does, do you get fired? <laughs> I need to know these things before I apply for the job. And I hope that they listen to the podcast. Oh my gosh. Batman Wild, Spin the Beats, this single simulcast. I guess the neighbors think I'm selling dope, selling dope. Okay, the neighbors think.
think I'm selling dope, selling dope, selling dope, selling dope, selling dope, selling dope. Yeah. I don't want no picture with the president. I just want to talk to the man. Speak for the boys in a bando. And my nigga never walking again. Apologize if I'm hopping again. I know these things happen often. But I'm back on the scene. I was lost in a dream as I write this to team down in Austin. I've been building me a house back home in the South, ma. Won't believe what it's costing. And it's fit for a king, right? Or a nigga that can sing and explain all the pain that it cost him. My 16 should have came with a coffin. Fuck the fame and the fortune. Well, maybe not the fortune. But one thing is for sure that the fame is exhausting. That's why I moved away. I needed privacy. Surrounded by the trees in Ivy League. Students that's recruited higher league. Thinking you do you and I do me. Crib has got a big old back of yard. My niggas stand outside and pass cigars. Filled with marijuana, laughing hard. Thankful that they friends a platinum star. In the driveway, there's no rapper cars. Just some shit to get from back and forth. Just some shit to get from back and forth. Welcome to the shelter. This is pure. We'll help you if you felt too insecure to be the star you always knew you were. Wait, I think police is at okay, the door. The neighbors think I'm selling You can't escape death, taxes, and a rape. This society to make every nigga feel like a candidate for a Trayvon kind of fate. Even when your crib sit on a lake, even when your plaques hang on a wall, even when the president jammed your tape. Took a little break just to annotate how I feel. Damn it's late. I can't sleep because I'm paranoid. Black in a white man territory. Cops bust in with the army guns. No evidence of the harm we done. Just a couple neighbors that assume we slang. Only time they see us, we be on the news and change. Damn. Hey, this is Bacon from AdSpace, and you are listening to the Single Simulcast. Why you do that? Tell her you love her when they 
next week you just want your space Why you do, why you do that? Tell her you wanna, but next week you do your own thing Why you do, why you do that? I can't explain it, but just know it working for me She tells me I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you But how the fuck can you hate me? When I ain't this shit, but be the real thing She know I'm the real, that'll never change I never been the one to try to explain Why you catch them feels, I'ma sip on this drink It's easing my brain I got real shit to stress about, girl, I ain't worried about shit Remember that I tried to build you, now I ain't worried about shit I got real shit to stress about, girl, I ain't worried about shit Remember that I tried to build you, now I ain't worried about shit so I found me a new thing, I'm not as lost as you think Got plenty queens in my hometown, all they need is drinking that dang so I found me a new thing, I'm not as lost as you think Got plenty queens in my hometown, all they need is drinking I'm lying, it's a goddamn shame We done crashed, we done burned, but baby, you the goddamn blame See, I wanted love, but you wanted goddamn fame Every goddamn thing I wanted a bitch who was on the move, but you wanted goddamn late uh, listing my problems Got the one in my bed and she just wanna sleep Fucking up all of the sheets She only wake up to eat Do this shit every week Like why you do that? Crying you wanna be great But sleeping until the next day Why you do that? Don't got that much in the bank We go out, she order to stay Why you do that? She can't explain it But just know it working for her She claiming she down on her luck But really she don't give a fuck And I cannot make this shit up. I ain't this shit Be the real thing she know I'm the real, that'll never change I won't be the one to try to explain Why you catch them feels, I'ma sip on this drink It's easing the pain I got real shit to stress about, girl, I ain't worried about shit Remember that I tried to build you, now I ain't worried about shit I got real shit to stress about, girl, I ain't worried about shit Remember that I tried to build you, now I ain't worried about shit So I found me a new thing, I'm not as lost as you think Got plenty queens in my hometown, all they need is drinking that day So I found me a new thing, I'm not as lost as you think Got plenty queens in my hometown, all they need is drinking that day Single Simulcast, episode 256, Batman Wild, Shantae, me, you. Patreon.com backslash Single Simulcast. Um, thank you so much to Fallon, uh, who purchased some, uh, uh, a cup from uh, a mug yeah, from um, the Single Simulcast um, store. That was um, so cool. It was so good to see uh, to see it, see somebody holding something, you know, or, you know, it was just like, oh, man, Fallon got a mug. That's awesome. 
mug. And then, and then I was just like, oh man, I want a mug now. Exactly. So- <laughs> I was like, those mugs look really nice. <laughs> like, they turned out really well. Like, the, the logo <laughs> looks really good on those mugs. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want that in my life. Yeah. So, I think I'm going to buy a mug. And then the kids will take it and use it, and uh, it'll get all stained inside because of coffee, or somebody will try and put pencils inside of it, or Nisha will take it to work, and it'll become a work mug. And then people will ask her what single simulcast is, and she'll be like, it's my husband's podcast, and they'll look at her like her husband's a nerd. (laughs) Turn into a whole thing. She'll come home and judge me because people are treating her differently because people at her job think that I'm a nerd, and so now they don't invite her to the potlucks, even though... She knows and I know that Gloria doesn't wash her hands after she gets out the bathroom and that Mm. Linda has cats and we don't know what she does to get the cats off her hands, but we know she has cat hair all over her. I don't know. Yikes. Right. Um, So, there was, there is, rather, a professor uh, at the University of Georgia who has adopted a stress reduction uh, policy that allows the students to select their own grades if they feel unduly stressed by the ones that they earned. Wow. Similarly, uh, students who feel stressed by group dynamics are allowed to walk away from the groups without explanation and will only be graded on non-group work. Hmm. Uh, the professor acknowledges that, quote, this policy might hinder the development of group skills and mastery of class material, but says this is each student's own responsibility. Uh, the reduction policy says as follows. Uh, emotional reactions to stressful situations can have profound consequences for all involved. In order to avoid such situations in this class, the following policies will apply. All tests and exam will be open book and open notes, including the use of material on your laptop. All tests and exams will be designed to be completed in half the allotted time by the majority of students. All tests and exams will be designed to assess low-level mastery of the course material. If you feel unduly stressed by a grade for any accessible material or the overall course, You can email the instructor indicating what grade you feel is appropriate, and it'll be so changed. No explanation is required, but it is requested that you consider waiting 24 hours before emailing the instructor. If, in a group meeting, you feel stressed by your group's dynamics, you should leave the meeting immediately and need offer no explanation to the group members. Furthermore, you can request to discontinue all further group work and your grade will be based wholly off non-group work. Only positive comments about presentations will be given in class. Comments designed to improve future, future presentations will be communicated by email. While this policy might hinder the development of group skills and mastery of the class material, ultimately these are your responsibility. I'll provide every opportunity for you to gain high-level mastery. Welcome to Snowflakes 101. That's what this class has to be. But no, it's his business course. Yeah, I don't know. This doesn't... Okay, so... 
I know there are people who don't like group work, you know, maybe because they've been burned by group work or whatever. You know, it seems like there's always that one person <laughs> who doesn't want to do all the work or there's the one person who wants to do all the work and isn't allowing other people to participate and, and all that different kind of stuff. So the idea that somebody could walk away from group work without having to uh, to be able to do it without explanation is good is or because let's say it's not even that type of a situation where it's about just the work sometimes you get grouped up with people who are assholes and you have to now you have to push through and deal with these people that are assholes in order to get a good grade and so I feel like that alleviates some of that possibility i guess like if you, if you know you deal with somebody and they're an asshole or you know somebody wants to be you know you get you're a woman and you're in a group with somebody who's like a men's rights activist or whatever or a men's rights person and so you can just break out you don't have to stay now it is going to be more responsibility but at least you don't have to let your grade be based on you pushing through a stressful situation i do wonder how the whole uh saying what grade you want is gonna work you know <laughs> like i'm sure there's gonna be somebody who's not gonna do anything and they're gonna get a d and then they're gonna be like well i think i need a b you know <laughs> and i guess they, i guess they'll just get a b but uh, i'm not gonna go for a b first of all um taking the a um <laughs> Secondly, this screams of a teacher who's on his way out the door, um, who's about to retire, or who's simply just tired of teaching. Um, because making everything open, and then if you don't like the grades you get, like, I could literally not come to class for the entire school year. And he said that you can change your final grade if you don't feel comfortable. No explanation is needed. And so it will be changed. I mean, it's not saying that the teacher will consider it. It's not saying that it might happen. So it will be done. This is lazy. I appreciate and understand, like you said, the uh, the the impetus behind what may cause somebody to want to leave a group. Um, I personally always got stuck with that kid in the class who was like, all right, Let's do this and I'll be the supervisor and never try to do any work, but tried to and jack their way onto the uh, the final project. Um, so I could see I group work, I could take it or leave it, you know, but the whole no matter what, we're going to go ahead and give you the grade that you want to get. Students love that. I'm sure that he is. Uh rated very highly on rate my professor <laughs> but Probably. any job any business that looks at kids overall transcripts or whatever any business school that sees his name on a kid's transcript automatically should just give them the side eye this is a horrible policy and it, it literally tells the kids you don't have to work hard we got you because you're special so a solar eclipse is uh, forthcoming 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's the 21st. The 21st. I think. Hopefully we're still around to see that. Uh, And everybody's excited to see it, except for this. (laughs) A mother questioned why the Great American Solar Eclipse event couldn't be held in the school holidays which prompted waves of ridicule from from other uh, Facebook users. The event in question was the solar eclipse party held by the Parole Museum of Nature and Science in Dallas, scheduled for the 21st of August when the sun will completely disappear behind the moon. Unfortunately, children in Dallas will be returning to school on that particular uh, Monday. What the... Thank you, Biscuit. What? I can't even see where the news is coming from. I feel bad now. <laughs> I I really do need to get a, a pop up blocker. Oh. You know, music just it it be coming. The music just it it has a mind of its own. I found that one. Um, unfortunately, children in Dallas will be returning to school that particular Monday. Can it be done on the weekend, the frustrated mother asked, apparently oblivious to the unchangeable path of celestial objects. As one student, as one user put it, did this lady just ask to reschedule the sun? <laughs> that was one of the less mean-spirited responses. Another said, I'd like to reschedule the eclipse too. My cat is getting married that day, and we paid deposits. <laughs> One man wrote, it's all good, everyone. I just got my time machine fixed. You can schedule it for whenever. I'll just go see it yesterday. The woman was not available for comment. Man. This is, that's so silly. I just wonder, was she literally thinking about an eclipse? Like, was she really, li- like, 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 what the first comment that you read? Like, was she really think? like, was she trying to reschedule the sun? Like, like, really? Like, that's really what you were doing? Or was she just thinking of something else? Like, she just, she hears a clips and she thinks it's something completely different than, like, you know, a celestial happening or whatever. <laughs> like, it's not, I don't, I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand. Tr- trying to reschedule the sun is hilarious, though. Uh, let's see. Armadillos and cats. I don't trust either of them. <laughs> a Texas man was wounded after he fired a gun at an armadillo in his yard, and the bullet ricocheted back to hit him in his face. Cass County Sheriff uh, Larry Rowe said the man who was not identified went outside his home in Marietta, Texas at about 3 a.m. local time on Thursday morning. He spotted the armadillo on his property and opened fire. His wife, quote, his wife was in the house. He went outside and took his 38 revolver and shot three times the armadillo, Rowe said. The animal's hard shell deflected at least one of the three bullets, which then struck the man's jaw, he said. Hmm. The man was airlifted to a nearby hospital where his jaw was wired shut, according to Roe. The status of the animal, as always, is unknown. 
That's wild. Like, okay. Was the... Was the... I mean, the armadillo was just outside, right? It wasn't like it was attacking anything. Mm-hmm. It was just outside. So he just heard... An arm, maybe. Maybe he heard an armadillo outside and felt like he needed to do something about it. So then he shot it and the bullet ricocheted and it hit him in the face. <laughs> I just... I guess I just wonder what the hell was going on. Like, how did... Like, yeah, I need to know why he was up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Meth. What was the armadillo doing? Meth. You know. <laughs> meth. <laughs> Both answers were meth. <laughs> the armadillo was doing meth. <laughs> they were all doing meth. Everybody was, everybody was, was on that crystal. Exactly. But... <laughs> You know, but what made him think that he needed to shoot the armadillo instead of just letting the armadillo, you know, just wiggle its way on down the road or whatever? <laughs> it's just it's an armadillo. It just doesn't seem like a dangerous thing if you're in your house. It just seems like it'll. I mean, unless they roll up on trash cans and stuff and knock them down, where even then it just seems like you could shoot in the air to scare it off. But not shoot at it. I'm just gonna say that if if he was really high off meth, <laughs> um, he probably saw this as an opportunity to play real life duck duck hunt. <laughs> uh, there was actually a game uh, for the Sega Master System called uh, Jungle Hunt, I believe, mm. and it was just like Duck Hunt. Except instead of ducks, there were lions and tigers and armadillos for some reason. Because oh wow, armadillos show up in the jungle. Uh, hold on. And safari hunt—that's what it was called. Oh okay. Safari hunt, and uh, safari hunt was a game where you had the the light gun and you shot it stuff. Alligators and ducks and bears and spiders and rats and panthers and monkeys and an armadillo. None of these things actually, you know, work with one another. But the armadillo you had to shoot twice. I remember that. So clearly he was on the right path. It's just the two of those shots bounced off the armadillo because he put up his reflective shield. (laughs) And it bounced back and hit him in the face. Crazy thing is now I kind of want to play this game again. (laughs) (laughs) And it came out in 86. I really miss my Sega Master System at times, but that's what it... So... Um, OJ's Bronco, nah, you know what? Yeah. OJ's Bronco's for sale. The white one from the getaway. Uh, wow. he, his agent is trying to sell it on Pawn Stars. Um, oh, okay. It'll be uh, showcased on an August 14th episode. Um,. And uh, Rick Harrison, who co-owns world-famous 
gold and silver pawn shop, uh, told the New York Post that it's in amazing shape. Uh, he drove it around and felt a little odd, but it runs great. Um, since the pawn thing, it doesn't actually say how much OJ wants for it. Uh, but Mike Gilbert, Simpson's former agent, is the current owner of the car. Um, Al Collins drove OJ Simpson during the chase five days after the murder of Simpson's ex-wife, uh, Nicole Brown, and Ron Goldman. I just want to say that I wouldn't buy the, the, the Bronco because, A, it didn't look like it ran that fast. <laughs> Even on the freeway, it looked like the top speed it got was like 15 miles an hour, and that's just dumb. Um, and also because, you know, it's like probably like a 89 Bronco or something like that. If the chase happened in 1994, that car, I'm sure it's old. Even now, it's even older. I wouldn't want no nasty-ass old Bronco just so I could say it's OJ's car, just so then white folks in my neighborhood could vandalize the fuck out of it. <laughs> they probably would. But then there's probably, you know what? Somebody, some like, I don't know what kind of person, but somebody could buy it and they might like destroy it. They might like use it as a way to, you know, let out whatever frustrations they have about OJ Simpson. They could do that. They could, they could turn that into like a reality thing. You know, it could be like a TV show. We're gonna we're gonna destroy the 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 white Bronco. You know, and they go to commercial five or six times, and then just hit it with, and then hit it with like a, a wrecking ball or something. I'm Geraldo Rivera. Mm-hmm. And this is destroying the white Bronco of the white Bill. Because, you know, OJ wasn't black. He was OJ. <laughs> yeah. Think of the swastika. And chance started, what comes to mind is the murderous regime of Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany. But the symbol is at least 5,000 years old and is incorporated in a Hindu, Buddhist, and giant iconography. Even now, in the Indian subcontinent and parts of the Southeast Asia, it's not uncommon to see the symbol painted on buildings and signs of the buildings and vehicles as a sign of good fortune. It is this second meaning that a clothing company said it was trying to recapture when it recently launched a line of T-shirts on Teespring.com featuring its new swastika, emblazoned with rainbow colors and the words "Love, Peace, and Zen." Yikes. In a video posted on the Facebook page on July 12th, the company, whose tagline is Questioning Boundaries, said that for thousands of years, the swastika meant something positive. But, quote, But one day, Nazism, <laughs> they stigmatized the swastika forever. End quote. K Design Promise, quote, The swastika is coming back. Together with peace, together with love, together with freedom, together with respect. Of course, after that came the backlash. Uh, <laughs> of course. One person referring to the Holocaust posted a review on the company's page, quote, if this is some kind of PR stunt, it's not going your way. Tasteless, inconsiderate, and disgusting, extremely offensive to the six million who lost their lives, end quote. One reviewer even said that if it was meant to be genuine, 
there are some symbols and ideas that are too abhorrent to ever be considered for rehabilitation. That mm-hmm. symbol led to and presided over so many innocent deaths of all races, it should be buried forever. Yet others expressed concern that the swastika was being conflated with the rainbow symbol of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. The story of the attempt to rebrand the swastika appeared in several newspapers in Israel, and Arsen Ostrovsky, the executive director of the Israeli Jewish Congress, denounced the company's clothing line as, quote, obscene and disgusting. However, a fucking course, there were a few supporters of the effort. Andrew Angland, who's the founder of the neo-Nazi Daily Stormer website, praised the shirts. Quote, I have been trying to do this for years, and I am thankful that hippies are finally getting on board with this particular project. I endorse these shirts. Hippies. <laughs> Bunch of long hairs. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the response KA Design had hoped for. The company responded to the controversy first with an about face, putting out a redesign that incorporated a red slash through the swastika. However, by Monday afternoon, a search on the Teespring.com page for the newly designed t shirts returned only an error message. The company's Facebook page now has a post announcing that hatred and Nazism have won. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so dramatic. Right? For for what they're for what they're doing. It's dramatic for what they're doing. Because obviously, you know, we talked about the the shit that was happening in Charlottesville and that's some scary shit. It's just that they, they are being super dramatic about these t shirts. They still have the page up, or rather, they still have the uh, swastika up on their website. The new swastika. Like, though, you just, I mean, it's like the the person that you quoted said that some things are just too abhorrent to to try to rebrand. However, however, you still have these people who keep wanting to fly the fucking Confederate flag, which is all, which is also abhorrent. With, but you know, but they're all, but you know, obviously they've been able to swing the whole heritage, not hate bullshit that they talk about, or you know, it wasn't about slavery, it was about economics and all this different shit that they keep talking about as far as that symbol is concerned. But that symbol is important too, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be out there. It shouldn't, people shouldn't be willing, so willing to put it on their cars and to fly the flag. And, and all this different kind of stuff is it sucks. Mm-hmm. And these people were stupid, and and these people were, were silly to try to put a swastika, even with rainbows, and even with the previous history of it on a shirt, and try to say like, oh, we're trying to do something different. Like that, that's silly. That's silly. They could have took that effort and used it to maybe make a doper shirt and send that mo- and use the money from that shirt to put it towards, you know, whatever cause that needs to be, you know, that, uh, you know, that they feel like is in line with whatever they're trying to, to, to big up or whatever. Instead of pushing boundaries, shut up, pushing we're, boundaries. We're breaking stupid. through. But racism is real as long as you don't think about it. 
Their company currently has 1.5 stars with 1,000 semi-reviews. <laughs> you know you done fucked up, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. What is it? Bill Duke. That's what. It, that's that's who that is. Bill Duke. Fitness mm-hmm. Society. Pointing. Cause you know you done fucked up, don't you? Batman Wild Spin the Beats. This single simulcast. You're listening to Single Simulcast with Rashani and my mom, Shante Fabulous. It ain't no joke, I like to buy the world a token, teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, and teach the world to snuff the fires and the liars. They all know it's just a somebody's spot for the recipe. This is a love attack, I know when our body's back, it's just like it. Tears because our baby's life has been revoked. The bond is broke, got so choked up and focused on the close up. Mr. Wizard can't reform. No God, like Hogan's focus. So don't sit back, kick back, and watch the world get bushwhacked. Use that in your neighborhood. It's under attack. Put away the crack before the crack. Put you away. You need to be there when your baby's old enough to relax. What's going on, everyone? It's Justin from the Three Fifth Podcast. You're listening to the Single Simulcast.
That was, that was simply sensational. sensational. Single, Single simulcast will surely surface speedily. Bitches. <laughs> Hi, this is your man Jeremy from the Crown of Collars podcast. And you are listening to Single Simulcast with my man Rashani and Shante Fabulous. Your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. And I'm your favorite podcaster. So that should be your favorite podcaster, because I'm your fave, fave, and your fave, fave. Check them out on Single Simulcast. And check out Crime of Collars. Find wherever you can find great podcasts and the CSPN Network. <laughs> Nigga. That's right, that's, like, what that's, computer, still, that's what your computer's saying right now. That sounds like a good fucking name right there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a friend. Nigga, I just took my first sip of Southern Comfort eggnog. <laughs> Boy! I feel fired up right now. I feel like the fucking leprechaun from Lucky Charm, nigga. I'm seeing pink hearts. What are you doing? Green clovers, nigga. I'm so happy. <laughs> the crack is back. <laughs> The love is back in Sacramento. I want to preach. <laughs> Who's coming with me? <laughs> Nigga, you can't yell green clothes. <laughs> my wife is in the back getting high off my supply. I'm fighting her like Pookie on New Jack City. Didn't I? Didn't I? <laughs> Man, when I walk your black ass all the way down the street to get that eggnog. Didn't I? <laughs> I used to be prom queen. Now you prom fiend, didn't I? <laughs> Did this nigga just become the Credible Hulk? You motherfucking eggnog. <laughs> said green clovers. God damn. <laughs> this nigga just, this nigga just became the Credible He just became the Credible Hulk. No, no, end the show. Fuck this shit, son. I'm out. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Single Sonic Cast. My name is John Cushman of the Cushman Chronicles. This is a podcast where I fight the forces of resistance in this... Okay, I gotta go. Push me fire. Peace. Single Simulcast, episode 256. It's time for the book of lies. It's time for the book of lies. It's time... For the book of lies, it's time for the book of lies. Like I was dancing too. I was dan- I was giving very. I was giving you little shop of horrors choreography when I was dancing. <laughs> Gina, <laughs> oh, I still say that that's an uh, excellent movie. But one of the best things about it are those uh, young ladies doing the backup singing. Oh yeah, I watched it the other day. Awesome movie. I was all over it. Chapter 16, Emancipation. Oh, yeah. Okay. In the isolation of rural Ohio, Ohio, that was me, my fault, college life. (laughs) Hashtag facts. In the isolation of rural Idaho, the tension between me and Kevin escalated. Now, as an English major, I just want to break in and say that it should be Kevin and I. (laughs) <laughs> but she always had to put herself in the front of everything. There's no way she's falling behind Kevin after all the stuff she said about him. <laughs> Remember, their marriage was just like their sex. Uneventful, unplanned, and a huge mistake. 
<laughs> Yikes. The tension between me and Kevin escalated. Early in our relationship, I believed that I could inspire... Early in our relationship, I believed I could inspire him to embrace black culture and fall in love with African history and Afrocentric aesthetics. There she go. There she is. And in the process, he'd come to understand me better and love himself more. Oh, wow. The white woman hoped (laughs) to drag the black man into loving black culture through her, a white woman. I usually say the jokes write themselves when she wrote this book. Um, (laughs) But after moving to Idaho, any hopes I once possessed disappeared. Our relationship had always been a one-sided affair, with Kevin's values taking precedence over mine. I was expected to be a submissive wife, while he ruled with an iron fist. I wasn't allowed to have anything that that belonged entirely to me. I didn't have my own cell phone. What year? 2007, 2008. Okay. I didn't even have my own email account. He insisted that I share my password with him. And whenever I protested, he'd use what happened with Robert, the general who kissed me, to justify his need to monitor my correspondence. Kevin also wouldn't let me go out on my own. The only times I left the house were Friday afternoons when he'd accompany me to the grocery store after he got home from work and Sunday mornings when we went to church. Quote, you're a silly little girl, he often told me. Some guy is going to hit on you, and you're not going to know what to do. Mm. As as stifling as this treatment was, I didn't feel like I had a choice but to bend to his will. After all, he was my husband. Married life in Bonner's Ferry soon became every bit as confining and oppressive as my childhood in Troy. Kevin's insistence that I never leave the house alone extended to work. He refused to let me get a job. His mandate was reinforced by my upbringing. Larry and Ruth Ann had taught me the mothers who worked were abandoning their children to godless child cares. Let me rephrase that. Larry, Ruth Ann, and Tommy Sotomayor (laughs) had taught her that mothers who worked were abandoning their children at godless daycares. Careers were for men. And women were expected to set everything aside for their husbands and children. Kevin let me do art as a hobby, but because everything I created focused on the black experience, it was always misunderstood by people who still thought of me as white. Mm. Including my husband. In Idaho, my creativity shriveled to a husk, and I struggled to produce any work. I had barely made any new pieces since completing the MFA program at Howard. A year after graduating summa cum laude, I was now barely coping. I was now a barely coping stay-at-home mom searching for inspiration in the sticks of Idaho, my career path having come to a sudden dead end. Franklin, now a toddler at two, helped me keep my head above water. He was the center of my world, the main source of joy in my life, my reason for waking up in the morning. Like me, he was expected to submit unquestioningly to Kevin's authority, and having to observe that dynamic was difficult for me. Franklin didn't like to eat meat when he was little. Oh, fuck that kid. (laughs) Fucking vegans. His favorite (laughs) breakfast was hot leaves. 
green, such as Rainbow Swiss chard that he had helped me pick from the garden and that I cooked the way he liked best. Boiled and flavored with just a pinch of salt. One morning, I placed a piece of bacon into his high cherished tray, but he was only interested in tearing it into little pieces. Quote, Stop playing with your food, boy. Kevin yelled before shoving an entire piece of bacon into Franklin's mouth while Franklin protested by, ch- by pounding his chubby fist on the tray. On another occasion, Kevin forced a bite of sausage into Franklin's mouth, and when, Ke- and when Franklin refused to swallow, Kevin grabbed a rolling pin and waved it in the air like a club. Terrified, Franklin started crying, and the sausage fell out of his mouth. Hoping to defuse the situation before it got any worse, I removed Franklin from his high chair and told Kevin that Franklin needed to go potty. These sort of violent outbursts were common in our household. When Kevin and I argued, he often threatened to paralyze me from the neck down if I ever betrayed him. I took this warning seriously because as the physical therapist's assistant, he had worked with numerous quadriplegics and knew exactly which vertebrae they injured. Adding to my fear, Kevin kept two loaded guns in our bedroom closet where he could easily get to them if need be. I was so scared whenever he came home, my body stiffened, my teeth clenched, and I could barely eat. Anorexia led to bulimia, and I grew precariously thin. I went from wearing a size 6 or 8 Sorry, I know that this is a dramatic part, and it's um, like fuck Kevin right now. But size six or size eight, six or eight, okay, whatever. To a size zero, mm. and experience an equally extreme nosedive in my health. Into this toxic environment stepped Josh. I hadn't seen him since he visited me in D.C. right after Kevin and I had gotten married. During that visit, he'd apologized for molesting me when we were younger. And I'd forgiven him just as I'd been taught to do in church. Although I was still wary of him, we'd kept in touch, emailing each other every so often. When he mentioned he was going to be driving with his girlfriend Brennan, such white names, with his girlfriend <laughs> Brennan, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, Brennan, from the University of Nebraska, where he was studying to get his PhD in American literature, to the Pacific Northwest, I invited them to stay with us at our place in Bonners Ferry. I was in the kitchen making dinner when Josh's white Buick pulled into the driveway and he and Brennan stepped out of the car. While I had been cooking, cleaning, and taking care of Franklin, Kevin, as was his habit, was using the computer in the basement. I called down to him, letting him know that our guest had arrived. He came upstairs to say hello, but it was up to me to show them to their rooms and explain the sleeping arrangements to them. Our house had three bedrooms. One for me and Kevin, one for Franklin, and one for guests. But when I told Kevin that Josh was bringing along a girlfriend, he insisted they sleep in separate rooms. Mm. This is the Christian household, he said to me, and we don't allow fornication. To appease him, I moved Franklin's toddler bed into our bedroom and set up an air mattress in Franklin's room for Brennan to sleep on while Josh slept in the guest room. It felt strange imposing Christian morality on Josh as he had strayed far away from the faith we had been raised in, bouncing between atheism and agnosticism. Ag- agnosticism. Screwing women he wasn't married to, 
drinking and smoking, but I had little choice. I apologized and shrugged to let him know, let him and Brennan know that it was Kevin's decision and I couldn't do anything about it. The conversation at dinner was forced and awkward. Josh and Kevin had only hung out twice before, and during the first occasion in D.C., Josh had made his objections to my life choices known, thinking, telling me he didn't think marrying a black man was a good idea. Quote, marriage is hard enough, he'd said. Race will just complicate an already difficult situation. <laughs> I didn't consider my marriage with Kevin to be an interracial marriage. <laughs> oh wow now the okay. question is does she not consider it to be an interracial marriage because she was black or because Kevin was white Ooh! and if she considers herself <laughs> to be black and Kevin to be white wasn't it an interracial marriage anyway oh my goodness we, we're going down a rabbit hole I don't want to go down <laughs> <laughs> Josh believed that the race would be the undoing of my relationship with my husband. But I knew that Kevin's blackness wasn't the cause of our disconnect. If anything, it was his disdain for blackness that created so much distance between us. Besides the relationship with me, Kevin and Josh didn't have much in common. As a consequence, they didn't have anything to talk about. During dinner that evening, I did my best to keep the conversation going, but quickly exhausted the main topics of interest in the small world that I inhabited. The food we were eating, the house we lived in, and Franklin's growth and development. Josh filled in the gaps with animated discourses about life in grad school, poems he recently written, and his eagerness to show off the area he'd grown up in to Brennan. The next morning, as Kevin was leaving the house to go to work, he bumped into Josh and Brennan on the deck. They were smoking, which Kevin considered sinful. So I braced myself. This was profane, right? This was that dude? Who was profane? Kevin. The his guy. nickname was Profane, wasn't it? I don't... Wait, maybe... I, wait, I don't know. I gotta I go back. Hold on. Maybe... I think so. Let me see if I can go back. Okay. Uh, the cool thing about this update they have now is that you can click right back to the page you were at. So... Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me see. Um... Because I thought that they broke up and then uh, he was saying that they had to that she had to take him back and his friend was like uh, you should take him back Kevin Moore was interested in me he seemed like a good match he was quiet at least that's what he told me he was religious before finding religion he was known on the streets as profane thanks yeah, to his foul okay. mouth and shady activities yeah that's profane. Kevin's best friend also told me that Kevin wanted me back, and I better be careful because I'd be in grave danger if I didn't agree to see him again. That was in the last chapter. In this chapter, he considers smoking to be sinful. So I braced myself for an explosion, but he only asked them what their plans for the day were. I was thinking we might all go up to Yak Falls for a swim, said Josh. That would be really fun, I said. I'd love to go. I'll get Franklin's life jacket. Kevin shot me a look of disbelief before leveling his gaze at Josh. She doesn't go anywhere without me. That goes for my son, too. He turned back to me. You're not to leave this house until I get home. I nodded and handed Kevin the lunch I made him. As Kevin walked to the car, Josh looked at me incredulously. 
Seriously? It's fine, I said. I'm sure you and Brennan will have a great time. Josh shook his head. How do you live like this? You're too special for this. Hmm. No, I'm not, I muttered. Hmm. My heart nearly skipped a beat from the impact of my own words. At that moment, I could see just how removed I come from my become from my goals, my ambitions, myself. I lost all hope and desire and traded in my dreams of changing the world. And for what? To be a stay-at-home mom? A submissive wife? All the energy I devoted to conforming to what Larry and Ruth Ann wanted, religious experience, and what Kevin wanted, a white wife, had left me feeling dead inside. I had cut off oxygen to the parts of my life that didn't fit with Kevin's narrow world view. Part of Kevin's narrow world view is that she's white. I just want to point that out one more time. Because she put those in parentheses. The thing that Larry and Ruth Ann wanted was religious obedience, in parentheses. And what Kevin wanted, in parentheses, was for her to be white. Mm. Both of these things were edicts that were being forced upon her that she didn't agree with. She's so strange. She's so strange. Because she... I feel like she almost acted like the blackness was almost thrusted upon her in a way like you know because she's wearing what she's wearing people are responding to her in a certain kind of way and she's just not going to correct them with great blackness comes great responsibility (laughs) yeah but now it's just like well Kevin wants me to be white this is terrible are you there God it's me, <laughs> Margaret. Today, Kevin demanded that I be white. <laughs> I don't know how. I've got rhythm. What else? I clap on the ones and fours. <laughs> See away, God. That I don't know if I believe in because Larry and Ruth then force you upon me just like he's forcing upon me the idea that I'm white. Find a way for me. Amen. While doing that, being a white woman, may have saved my marriage, it was killing me. I was doing little more than existing as a, as a white woman. That I felt so lifeless as a white woman scared me. But with this fear came hope that I could be black again. For that this was the moment I began to wake up and feel like I might be able to start living again. Josh was so disturbed by the state of my marriage, he addressed... Oh, Josh was so disturbed by the state of my marriage. There should be a comment there, but she left it out. Josh was so disturbed by the state of my marriage, he addressed the issue in several emails after he and Brennan left. In one, he wrote that he had never witnessed a civil conversation between me and Kevin. It still should be Kevin and I, even about groceries, and was concerned that I wasn't happy. In another, he wrote, quote, thankfully, there hasn't been any physical violence or you would have no choice but to consider divorce. If he only knew. Kevin was at home from work the day Josh sent the latter email, and he intercepted it before I had a chance to read and delete it as it had become my habit. Livid. He yelled for me to come downstairs. I picked up Franklin and carried him on my hip as I walked downstairs to the basement. 
The room pulsed with Kevin's rage. He said he never wanted to see Josh's face again, and if he did, he would kill him for planting ideas about divorce in my head. When I tried to calm him, he lunged at me, and as he did, I wrapped Franklin in my arms and turned to shield his body with mine. Kevin grabbed the back of my hair and threw me across the room. My back and body slammed into the wooden cupboards that ran along the floor as my body curled into a ball to protect Franklin from the impact. As I checked to make sure Franklin was alright, Josh's words broke through the fog in my head. You'd have no choice but to consider divorce. Up to this point, I'd accepted the abuse I'd received to Kevin's hands to be an atonement for my sins and endured it out of guilt and stubbornness. But now that he had involved Franklin, I could no longer stand by and take it. I had to find a way out. I memorized our bank account numbers, packed the suitcase, hid the guns, and devised a plan. I would rent a U-Haul truck and take off of Franklin and all my artwork, essentially all that was precious to me. I was terrified about the prospect of leaving, but staying was even more frightening. I tried to take off in the car on two separate occasions, but in both times, Kevin heard me sneak out and got to me before I could get to get Franklin in his car seat and drive away. The tension in our house is like an obnoxious guest who had long overstayed his welcome, but is related to you so you can't kick him out. I understand that. <laughs> it lingered into the fall. One Tuesday morning in September, I was washing dishes in the kitchen, and Kevin got upset about something as he was walking out the door to go to work. We got into an argument. He swung at me, but I managed to avoid the blow. Franklin, who'd been playing on the kitchen floor, stepped between us. Stop it, Daddy, he yelled. Don't hurt Mommy. Kevin kicked him out of the way, and Franklin went flying across the linoleum and split his forehead open on a cupboard door. As routine as this sort of abuse had become, Franklin had never been hurt before. A grim line had been crossed. As scared as I was about going to hell for failing to be a submissive wife, I was willing to do it to protect my child. While Kevin was at work, I snuck into town and reported the incident at the Child Protective Services office, showing them the injury on Franklin's forehead. After explaining what happened that morning and how it was part of a pattern of violence and abuse, the social worker I talked to told me I had one month to get Franklin out of the house or else he'd be removed and put in foster care. I'd wanted to leave Kevin for some time, but it lacked the courage and self-esteem to actually do it. My love for Franklin made up for those deficiencies. Now that he'd been hurt, I had no choice. I went straight home and forged an escape plan while being careful to cover my tracks. Whenever I called the victim advocate CPS had assigned me, I remembered to delete the call log on our landline. Anytime I used the internet, I I erased the search history afterwards. Anytime I wrote an email, I'd tell the receiver not to email me back and then I delete the copy of the message I sent. I needed to go somewhere I'd be safe, but when I appealed to Josh, he relied on the Iraq War reference to say no, telling me he quote wasn't going to be George Bush. The fuck? 
and intervene in such a volatile situation. Larry and Ruthann were now living in South Africa, but even if they had been in the country, I wouldn't have bothered to call them, which left Uncle Vern. The week before I left Kevin, I called Uncle Dan, told him about the escalating abuse, and asked if Franklin and I could stay with him. As a gay man, he was an outsider like me, so I thought he might sympathize with my situation, and he did. He offered me his place as a safe house while I figured out my next move. He warned me that he was about to fly out of the country to le- visit Larry and Ruth Ann, but he assured me that Vern would take care of us while he was gone. On October 24, 2004, three days after Franklin turned three, I executed, I executed my escape plan. I told Paul and Tammy, friends from church, that my marriage to Kevin had hit a rough rough patch and I needed to leave with Franklin so I could think and pray. I asked them to come to our house at the church, and when they arrived, I called Kevin upstairs and read him a statement I had written. After explaining why I needed some time away from him, I picked up my suitcase and with Franklin on my hip headed towards the door. You aren't taking my son anywhere, he said grabbing Franklin's arm in a grip so tight it made Franklin cry. I don't care what you do, but he stays with me. Then let Paul and Tammy take him, I said, before doing the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life, leaving my child behind as I walked out the door. I called the police from a payphone at a gas station, but the officers who arrived at our house told me they couldn't take a child from one parent and give him to the other parent without a court order. Concerned about Franklin's safety, I called Paul and Tammy every 30 minutes. Finally, after three and a half miserable hours, they picked up their landline and let me know that Franklin was with them. My heart lifted. I filed for an emergency protection order, and as soon as it was granted, I gave a copy of it to Paul and Tammy to protect them from Kevin's wrath and took Franklin straight to Uncle Vern's place. When I arrived, Vern was feeding the pheasants, peacocks, emus, and other exotic birds he raised. Besides being a bird lover, he was also an expert landscaper. With streams cascading over waterfalls, winding around perfectly manicured patches of lawn, and beds filled with flowering plants, and spilling the ponds full of koi and frogs, their property was often featured in the annual Cordeline Garden Tour. More important to me, it was isolated and well protected. Getting there involved a long and complicated drive, and the driveway had an inconspicuous entrance obscured by a bend in the road. If anyone did come down that driveway, Dan and Vern's German Shepherd Bo would alert us. Before I went to bed that night, Vern handed me an aluminum baseball bat and he told me he'd keep a rifle close to his bed. Franklin and I stayed with Dan and Vern until we moved into an apartment in Coeur d'Alene in early 2005. As supportive as my uncles were, they were the exception. Everyone else in my family and most of my Christian friends thought divorce was an unforgivable sin. I was met with scorn. God hates divorce, they told me. And Jesus can forgive. They didn't mean they would forgive me for getting a divorce. They were saying that if only I tried a little harder, I could forgive Kevin. 
Any attempts I made to get them to understand what it was like to live in fear for your safety and that of your child fell on deaf ears. Believing that God is on the side of the husband in any domestic conflict, they supported Kevin, who they had embraced the born-again Christian, even though they hardly knew him and knew me my entire life. I knew that divorcing Kevin would mean losing my entire family and many of my friends, yet I was willing to do it because I loved my son more than anything else and believed it was best for him. My divorce was finalized on April 2005. With me getting to keep Franklin most, but not all at a time. I was on my own at the age of 26 with very little in the way of steady employment and a three-year-old to support. And yet, I felt liberated. The prevailing mindset in the house I grew up in, and in the one I shared with Kevin, that if it's not in the Bible, you can't do it, have precluded me from ever fully discovering or claiming my own identity. Living in a new city where no one knew me, I was free to express myself on my own terms, religiously, sexually, and racially. I stopped attending church for the first time in my life and began the process of redefining my faith in more spiritual terms. Up until that point, the power of religious guilt had me firmly in its grasp and the possibility of eternal punishment was omnipresent. I often found myself atoning for merely existing and hating my body and myself. Now, no longer. After a year in therapy, during which I was diagnosed as suffering from PTSD from all the physical and sexual abuse I'd experienced in my life, I started dating men and women, and I once again embraced my inclination towards black aesthetics. Perched on the edge of a picturesque lake, Coeur d'Alene is a resort town with an avid beach scene. I often sunbathed on the shores of the lake during my summer, during the summer, and my skin darkened as a result. I didn't get melanin stimulation shots or take drugs or surgically alter my body or skin as some would later suggest. I I simply like to get my glow on in the summer and keep a tan as long as I could in the winter. I also started expressing myself again through hairstyles, wearing my hair in box braids, singleese twists, and faux lows. With the braids and my natural tan, if you sit outside and tan, it's not natural, right? Natural is like you and I, right? Right. I mean, I mean, I think maybe what she's talking about is. From the sun? That she, that yeah, that she she's saying like this is this is what my body would naturally do in the sun, okay. as opposed to you know putting you know rubbing something some self tanner or whatever on. Okay, okay. Uh, with that came the same questions I've been bar- bombarded with in college. So what are you? And are you white or black? And what are you mixed with? I began answering more vaguely and letting people make their own judgments. I stopped allowing other people to dictate my identity or make me feel guilty about who I was, and when they made assumptions about my ethnic origins, I made no effort to set them straight. Now, for the first time in my life, I was truly owning who I was, a woman who was free, self-reliant, and yes, black. There was just one hitch. 
In Idaho, it's the court's general policy to make divorced parents sharing custody of a child remain within a two-hour drive of each other to prevent drop-offs and pickups from being overly burdensome. Burdensome. With Kevin still in Bonner's Ferry, my choices as far as where I wanted to live next were extremely limited. Coeur d'Alene was the closest place to Bonner's Ferry that could be called the city, and thanks to Dan and Vern, it was a place I felt safe, so I decided to settle there. As happy as I was to be free of Kevin, the solution came with a steep price. To retain my custodial rights, I had to remain in this cultural backwater for the next 15 years. Chapter 17 is titled, San Francisco. Mm. Well. By the way, the first sentence is, during the entire five years I was married to Kevin, I never had a single orgasm while having sex with him. Wow. (laughs) That's not surprising. Uh, Okay. This chapter uh, was super, yes, super painful, super sad. Really don't have, like, like, abuse sucks. Like that, I like, regardless of how I feel about this woman, you know, abuse sucks. Exactly. That sucks. It's good that, you know, if this is uh, the story that she's telling, regardless of whether or not it's true for her, because there's still, I mean, this is still the book of lies. She still could be, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, this is... It's it's good that it's it's good that you know she was able to get out or whatever that that you know and I think this speaks to what happens to people who are in abusive situations where you get people who are saying that you need to forgive that person that how come you're not trying harder you know they're not on your side that you know it it's it's great that she had somebody to uh she had some place to go mm-hmm. and that this didn't escalate into where she possibly could have could have died you know because that's what you know when people you know when people in abusive relationship you know people in abusive situations when the woman does try to leave you know her the probability of her dying goes up or you know it's just it's fucked up so and and then at the same time, you know, this whole her whole blackness thing is still is still wild to hear, I guess. I just want to really I just really want to send out I'm 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 saying that uh Uncle Vern and Dave, Dan um, are the real heroes of this chapter to me. Um, Yeah, Dan. They're the real heroes of this chapter because everybody else was turning their back on her uh, to support this abusive man because of Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that the two people who are most likely to be looked at by the rest of the uh, community as being outside of the bounds of Christian belief are the ones who were willing to help out the one person in the community who was outside of what is 
generally decided upon as uh, common sense uh, in that she's not black, she's white. Um, mm-hmm. But that the outsiders help the outsider. Um, I am also struck with the thought that in our lives, a lot of times the folks who are uh, supporting us are the ones who are often the most maligned uh, because they're the ones who feel that they have nothing to lose from supporting you. Like if there's not, they're not going to lose any friends or any sleep over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry that this happened. I'm sorry that this happened to Franklin. I'm sorry he had to grow up and see it as a uh, product of uh, domestic violence in my home uh, as a as a kid. I know that that's something that sticks with you for years, like really messed you up. And I hope he got a chance to have therapy and talk with somebody who was able to uh, help him uh, get through that. Um, Like you said, this is a tough uh, chapter. Um, And I am not here for making fun of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I'm not here for making fun of um, spousal abuse. I'm not here for making fun of child abuse. Any of those things, they it doesn't fly on this show. It doesn't fly for either of us. I think I could uh, speak uh, very firmly about that for both of us, that neither one of mm-hmm. us would let that occur or fly. Um, with that said, the next chapter is going to be, I can already feel like it's going to be chock full of fuckery. Um, uh, and I, the next chapter is, this chapter is now in the past, the next chapter is coming up, and I'm, I'm quite sure that we're going to be going all in. Um, and I'm not going to say now, I'm not going to say who, but if the guests that we have set up plans out and comes through (laughs) yeah the next chapter is going to be fucking epic patreon.com backslash single simulcast please show support share it with other people Um, if you are unable to become a patron we understand just please share with others um, and let other people know about it Uh, we appreciate y'all listening we appreciate the uh love that you're showing us um it's been a really really grand experience and a grand journey um that's that's my shout outs shantae what you got yeah shout out to everybody who's who's rocking with us you know whether you're sharing the show or commenting on the show or you know uh, being a patron on patreon you know hitting us up on facebook you are appreciated. It's good to know. Uh, or if you're, you know, you buy buying merch. Merch is awesome. You know, so if you're, you know, just however you're rocking with us, you are appreciated. It's it's awesome to know that what we're doing is is resonating, is making people laugh, is helping people get through, you know, their day or whatever that they might, you know, that they look forward to it. So, you know, you're appreciated. So uh this was quite possibly the Yeah. 
I think that the reason why this episode was so quick was because we really did spend a lot of time on the Patreon episode yeah. that's on the Patreon feed right now. Like we put a lot of time into that one. And that one uh, is all about the response to Tommy Sotomayor <laughs> and his uh, statements about single black women. Uh, we spent at least an hour and a half on that. So that is exclusively for Patreon members. Um, I encourage each of y'all again to check out the Patreon page. Uh, if you donate $5, you get access to that. If you, I, we do a lot. We do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to do even more. I'm, I'm trying to get us tickets to PodCon so then we can be there and meet up with folks. What we really want is what I really want. I didn't ask Shante because, you know, no privilege. <laughs> what I really like is to. I, I've been black my entire life, unlike Rachel Dolezal. I would like to be recognized as a black podcast. Sounds crazy, right? But in a lot of the conversations about black podcasts, this one never comes up. And so I'm hoping, well, it's not a hope. I am getting tickets to PodCon uh, so then we can go there and represent for our show and show that we are a fully black podcast who are doing, I think, good things in the community and good things for the podcast community overall. Um, so your Patreon dollars are going to go towards that uh, Patreon dollars go towards getting us on Libsyn uh, because the single simulcast page uh, is while it's wonderful and we're building it up thanks to Erica and uh, Ricky Hines uh, said that he'd be able to help us out and Janie said she'd be able to help us out and thanks to all three of them um, there's still some things that are just not panning out the way that you will want a podcast page to really pan out and it seems like Lipson may be the best option for us going forward um, so uh, like I said I'm looking at uh, avenues of ways to really just make that leap I'll probably also keep the single simulcast feed going uh, from single simulcast.com but the website may just be the Lipson uh, feed on the single simulcast page you know what I'm saying um but that's all done through help from people like y'all. And we appreciate you. And I, I, I never want you to think otherwise. Um, this single simulcast episode 256. Uh, she's Shante. I'm Rashani. That guy over there is Fat Man Wow. Uh, finally, for the first time in like a couple of episodes, like maybe six or seven episodes, I can say at the end of the show, Fat Man Spin the Beats. And actually mean it. Because um, this episode was shorter than usual. So <laughs> go have some fun, Fat Man. Um, we appreciate each and every one of y'all. Um, Silverback, uh, Tally, uh, Corbin, uh, Nicole, uh, Miss Angela. Um, thank you each. Thank, thank each and every one of y'all. 
we appreciate you. And everything starts from small numbers. Uh, we just keep working it, continuing to grow. And we just hope that some of y'all other listeners continue to grow with us. Yeah. That's about it. Uh, again, thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate you. Um, this single simulcast episode 256. Oh, and Sherazar. Woo. Yeah. And Sherazar. Thank you all so much. Uh, y'all be good. We'll holler at you later. Peace. Bye. You're right, you're a product of your own decision. This is single simulcast. This is a trick track man.
just sit back and let this moment slip away. Cause I got my eye on you. I see you looking over your shoulder. Let me make my way over. Excuse me, Miss Lady, how you doing? Your body looking right, get a type I like you know pursuing. Can I get a little closer so I can get to know you and exchange names and things before the night is over? This is Charlotte, Black Lives Matter, Orlando Castile, Black Lives Matter, Single Simulcast is what you're listening to. Just 
Charlotte in a basket and force me with your hand. My indignation goes beyond my neck. I'm not sure when you least expect. And whose final scene it is will be left up to